Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to the Betting Pros NFL podcast brought to you by BetMGM. I am your host, Dan Harris. You can find me on Twitter at DanHarris80. It is time to break down some of our favorite and our least favorite bets for the Week 10 NFL slate. And with me to talk about it all is Adam Burke, a sports betting writer at bangthebook.com and host of Bang the Book Radio. You can follow him on Twitter at Skating Tripods. Adam, thanks for coming back on. How's it going? Absolutely. It's going well, man. How you doing? Good. I think you might have been our first two-time guest, and you were definitely our first three-time guest. So, I mean, this is... Third time's a charm, right? You've got a big reputation here, so you can't let us down. This is a big one here. It's a tough week. We were just talking about it before we started recording. You've got six teams on a bye. There aren't that many games to choose from, so we really need to figure out a way to bring it right here. You guys know the drill already for the Thursday episode. Adam and I are going to be making some of our favorite bets against the spread or on the over-under. We'll list a game to avoid, and then we'll give our favorite prop bet. But we are nothing if not accountable here at the Betting Bros NFL podcast, so let us very quickly review last week. I hit on the Jets and the Dolphins over 41 and the Eagles Bears under 42, but thanks to Adam Vinatieri, I missed on the Colts laying one to the Steelers. I also whiffed on what I admitted was a very big reach on a prop bet after I'd hit like five straight, which was Robbie Anderson over 125 receiving yards at plus 425 against the Dolphins. Overall, I don't feel all that bad about last week, and while I did bet the Colts because I placed my bets at some point shortly before or after recording, the T.Y. Hilton injury changed things just a bit after that, so I admit I hedged a little bit prior to Sunday. As for our guest, Rich Ryan, he whiffed on both the Redskins getting 10 from the Bills and the Bears getting 5 from the Eagles, as well as Lamar Jackson under 59.5 rushing yards, but he did hit on the Raiders laying two to the Lions. Now, listeners should also know that I have never heard anyone quite as upset about missing three of his four picks as Rich was. Seriously, he's probably listening, and Rich, you need to get a hold of yourself. Anyway, Adam, you've been our guest a couple of times, as I mentioned, so I know you are ready to roll here. Let's jump into it with pick six, where we each give three of our favorite bets, either against the spread or on the over-under. Start us off with one of your favorite bets of the weekend. All right, I'm just going to run through these uh, with through my three here by rotation number. And I'll tell you what, man, game 259-260, Atlanta and New Orleans. I understand why this line is where it is. I mean, you've got a Saints team playing as good as anybody in the NFL. The defense has been fantastic. Now they've got Drew Brees back. But painted 13 across mo- across most of the market there on that bettingpros.com odds screen. I've got to look at Atlanta in this one. You got a New Orleans team coming off the bye that, quite frankly, the way that they were playing, I don't think they wanted the bye. The defense had been great. You just got Breeze back. And then all of a sudden, you've got to stop for a week. And furthermore, everything went perfectly according to plan for New Orleans during that bye week. Green Bay lost. Minnesota lost. San Francisco looked human against Arizona. So now New Orleans in the driver's seat, not just for the number two seed, but possibly the number one seed in the NFC. I think this is a bad spot for them. I think they got fat and happy over the break. Atlanta, chance to reset, refocus, maybe wipe the slate clean a little bit. For whatever reason, the Falcons didn't fire Dan Quinn, and everybody kind of thought it was going to happen. Arthur Blank didn't want to do it. The GM didn't want to do it. Maybe they feel like he's still got this locker room here. They should get Matt Ryan back here this week, and he should be healthier than he was a couple of weeks ago when Matt Schaub had to play. Atlanta's the only side for me in that game, and and in fact, I'm going to wind up taking it you know, in the Super Contest as well as personally. Man, I'm shocked by this one. I'll be honest. I mean, I I don't really have a problem for it. The line is is huge. It's a big line. Anytime you see double digits, frankly, I like to kind of always take a look at the underdog just because they're so 
many ways for them to cover. I mean, it's just a million ways. When you look at the breakdown here of what we've got, the it's 50-50, actually, among the 58 experts who have put in picks. But the most accurate, the top 20% on the season, are with you. They're 62-38 in favor of Atlanta. I mean, look, when I look at it, yeah, I can totally see it. But, God, you are a brave man betting on Atlanta. That's sort of how I feel about it. If I have to pick a side, I'll go with Atlanta. I agree with that. But, you know, to make it one, again, it's slim pickings this week, to be fair. It's just such, they have just shown absolutely nothing. My my worry about it, frankly, is not so much the offense. I agree Ryan's going to come back. You know, I think they can move the ball, even against a tough defense, because, you know, Devonta Freeman, the strength of the Saints defense is their run defense, not as much their pass defense, although overall it's very strong. Freeman hasn't been doing anything on the ground whatsoever. He's held to like 30 yards or less in the vast majority of his games. But uh, on the passing side with Ryan back, which I agree he's coming back, you know, Ridley's getting involved once Sanu is gone. Um, Hooper is having a fantastic season. You always have Julio Jones and Freeman's been great. My big worry, though, is their defense, man. How are they ever going to stop New Orleans offense? That's my only concern in this game. No, I completely agree. I think it's a fair concern. And, and I don't know, maybe you're, maybe one of the totals you like here could potentially be the over in this game. But again, I mean, I think that you just have a Saints team that you upset the rhythm of a team when all of a sudden you run into a bye week. You want to keep playing week after week after week, especially because you know, that Seahawks game, they win by six on the road, although it really wasn't as close. The Cowboys, they win by two. Buccaneers by seven. Jaguars by seven. Then they get a couple of lopsided wins, and you start to feel like maybe this team just is dominant. But then they get that week off that kind of slows everything down a little bit. First of four straight division games in three and a half weeks because they'll play Atlanta on Thanksgiving night uh, on that short Thursday there the last week of, of November. Then they get the 49ers and the Colts. So I just think that the Saints just kind of have their eyes on a bigger prize a little bit further down the line here. Yeah, I really don't have a problem with it. And again, most of those games did come without Drew Brees, but I, I agree with you. You know, they were rolling. They are playing well. I, you know, they're certainly either them or the 49ers seems like the team to beat in the NFC. So, I mean, I think we both agree they're going to win and probably win pretty handily here. For me, the big thing that I see on it is like, I, I totally see the backdoor cover, the backdoor cover coming at the very end of it. Just sort of Atlanta coming, you know, the Saints kind of backing off. 13 is just such a high number and it's too high as to what it should be. I mean, I think it should be closer to 10 or 11, but realistically, it's hard for me to take uh, the Falcons. So I, I do appreciate your boldness. And if I am forced to choose a side, that would be the side that I would take as well. The one caveat that I would have here is if Atlanta comes out of the bye and just gets completely blown away, and it's certainly a possibility. I mean, the line suggests it's a possibility. The body of work for both teams, as you just mentioned, if Atlanta gets trucked in this game, I cannot touch them the rest of the year. Because if they don't show up here, I don't think they show up anymore here in 2019. Yeah, and I think really that's the difference with us. I think I reached that point like two weeks ago, you know, because I, I you know, I think I backed them maybe in the super contest too against Arizona. I believe that they might have been giving three. And that was when I still was like, you know, Arizona just gives games away. And again, they may have covered had Matt Bryant kicked you know, the extra point at the end of the game. But I don't know, man, something with him. I can't believe Quinn still has a job. I mean, we, we've talked about that. That's that's really ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I agree. Certainly, if they if they don't show up here, there's absolutely no reason to touch them for the rest of the season. For me, I'm going to start uh, with an over under. Uh, and usually with these, I like to go under. I feel like those are usually the sharper side. But here, 
I'm going to go over, and I'm going to take the Cardinals and the Bucks over 52.5. Now, this line has been trending up all week. It is the highest over-under of the week, but sometimes just got to steer into the skid a little bit. Now, the analysis here is is pretty simple, right? Both teams have solid to above-average offenses. The Bucks have not been held to fewer than 23 points since week two, and they've played some tough defenses in that span with the Titans, the Panthers, the Saints, and the Rams. They've got a ton of weapons on offense. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are studs. They're finally getting Ronald Jones involved. And, you know, I host a fantasy football podcast. I've teased my very good friend Mike Teglier mercilessly about how high he has kept O.J. Howard in his fantasy ranks for rest of season. But assuming that Howard plays here and he is trending in that direction, I think he's going to have a big game. The Cardinals defense has been weak all year against tight ends. Patrick Peterson has not made much of a difference. Meanwhile, the Cardinals are the fastest team in the NFL offensively under Cliff Kingsbury's offense. The Bucks can stop the run, but they cannot stop the pass. Murray is going to throw. He's going to run. And I've run through this game a million different times. I just cannot see a scenario absent an injury to one of the quarterbacks where it's not a shootout. Plus, you, I mean, you can pretty much bank on the fact that Winston is going to have a massive turnover at some point, a pick six or a fumble deep in his own territory that's going to lead to points. I don't like the spread here. I can't really trust either team. These, I don't like to back either one of these teams, but on the over, even though it's 52 and a half and that's a high number, I just, it's hard for me to see any way that this game isn't a massive shootout with a really really high point total yeah I think that makes sense I mean again you've got two relatively suspect defenses here I mean Tampa Bay is maybe a, a little bit better than we thought that they would be but you're right the, the Winston thing my god the guy he makes so many just tremendous arm talent throws and so many awful decisions not just in the span of a season or in a game but like on a drive like he'll make a throw that you just you're blown away by then the next one, it's just like, what are you doing, dude? It's, <laughs> yeah. it, I, I don't think I've ever seen a player that inconsistent from one play to the next at the quarterback position. Maybe like a Jeff George type of dude or something like that. It's just, it's unbelievable. But I, like you said, I mean, I think it's hard to see either team providing a whole lot of resistance here. Tampa Bay, one of the few places in November where the weather won't be too bad, uh, at least usually not. So, I mean, I, I get it. It makes sense. It is interesting to see the line coming down a little bit from the opening total, but I, I don't want to step in front of these two offenses. Oh, see, that's interesting because I thought the line had actually moved up a point from where I had it at the look of the headline. Has, has it moved down from the look at line? Uh, looks like I'm seeing it pinnacle. It opened 54 early in the week. Interesting. Okay, so when I did the look ahead line, I had it at 51 and a half. So it might have dropped significantly early on. There might have been some sharp money really pushing it down because I had it coming up um, as the week went on. But that, I mean, if it opened at 54, that might be a little something where I would get a little nervous about taking them. I mean, I probably still would because I really feel like this game is going to be monstrous. Again, the big thing here is a couple of things. Number one, both teams are capable of massively explosive plays. I mean, Mike Evans with the air yards that he's getting all season long, it's just every play is just a bomb to him. Both teams can score really quickly. It's not sort of a slow, grinded out game. You know, the, the Cardinals don't, you know, run the ball a crazy amount anyway, and they're not going to be able to run it on the Bucks, but they are going to be able to throw it. And again, I think the Bucks are really going to be able to move it. So in the end, it's a high total, the highest of the week. But, you know, for me, I feel relatively confident that I'm not going to be sweating this one out in the fourth quarter I think it's just one of those types of situations where you know you you see some high totals in the NFL but you generally don't see totals up in that 53 54 range and when you get outliers like that sharp money usually just plays against it just solely on principle so it, I don't think I'd worry too much about the line move here and 
I, I will say this. Get in on this one, you know, relatively quickly because public money will drive this back up uh, as we get closer to kickoff. Yeah, and I'm just looking a little bit at the breakdown right now. I mean, you're you're about right. More bets are coming in um, on Atlanta, but more money is coming in on the Saints. Now, it's not a crazy amount, the split of it. Um, it it's, you know, relatively in, you know, in line as a general matter. But it certainly is something where when the number of bets is outnumbered by the money that's coming in, you can tell there's been some sharp action, at least initially, that was pushing it down. Let's move on to your second pick. What do you got? Yeah, I'm going to take a look here. Uh, 265 by rotation order. The Detroit Lions are plus two and a half against the Chicago Bears. And look, early in the week, it was three. It certainly would have been better to get three. But as far as I'm concerned, looking at the body of work for these two teams, and I know Detroit is, is a square side here this week. I know some sharp money has kind of shown a little bit of interest in taking Chicago, maybe in a buy low type of situation, but I don't see how Chicago can lay points against any average to above average team right now. Matt Nagy just has no clue on offense. Trubisky's a disaster. I don't know why they don't just go with Chase Daniel and decide that they're going to draft a quarterback. Detroit's look pretty good, and you know, you mentioned that on last week's show, your your previous guest had Oakland minus two, and I had them in the super contest as well, but we got damn lucky getting that one. Detroit had a turnover just outside the red zone, a pick in the end zone. They had that goal line stand at the end of the game. They basically gave 17 points away to Oakland, uh, you know, with some of the turnovers and, and with their field position there. So Detroit, another game that they should have won. And you can hold that against them. You could say there's been games this season that they should have come away with a victory in. But division game here, Stafford's playing great. Detroit's defense has been playing pretty well. Seems like Matt Patricia's defensive influence is really starting to weigh in here this season. This isn't necessarily as much of a play on Detroit as it is a fade of Chicago. But the Bears just don't deserve to be laying points against any team playing as well as Detroit has this year. Yeah, I could not agree with this more, actually. And uh, on Monday, you know, we take a look at the lines, where they are at that point, guessing where they might move or not. And Dave Koken was our guest. We both talked about this line as being, I don't get it whatsoever. I, I completely agree. There is just no way you can trust the Bears doing anything at this point offensively. I mean, I get that, you know, Matt Nagy is trying to rely on David Montgomery more, right, to run the ball because, frankly, you've got to take the ball away from Mitchell Trubisky because he cannot do anything. He's completely regressed offensively. And again, the only hesitation is the exact point that you made, which is the Lions kind of have this knack of giving away these games that it seems like they should win, right, against the Raiders. They did it early on in the first game, I believe, of the season against the Cardinals, where they wound up tying, even though they were way ahead. So they do have the knack for doing that. But I completely agree with you. It is less about the Lions and much more about the Bears. And you got to fade them, particularly on offense. So I really, really like this second pick, actually. And it actually feeds into my second pick, which is on the same game. And it's the under on 42 and a half on the over under. So I mean, I've been taking the Bears under pretty much the entire year, and it's been a pretty solid place to live for really much of the reason that you described. They've played eight games. They've been below 37 points in five of them, and they've been above 46 points just once. Their defense isn't quite as vaunted as it once was, but it's still an above-average uh, unit overall. Really, again, it's their offense. Mitchell Trubisky is terrible. There are no signs of life from the passing offense. He was almost benched at halftime last week. Now, he did come out and did have a much better second half, but I believe they had nine yards at the half or something like that. They went three and out in their first five drives, so they're really just not doing it whatsoever. And again, the ground game is fine, but it's not quite as you know explosive as you really are going to need it to be if you're going to have to have a quarterback 
like Mitchell Trubisky. Meanwhile, on the other side of the ball, Detroit can certainly move the ball fine, but it's not a matchup that sets up particularly well for the type of offensive you know, uh, game plan that they have. Uh, the Bears have been vulnerable on the ground since Akeem Hicks went out, but the Lions just really have no running game. They haven't really all season. They certainly haven't since Kerryon Johnson went out. Ty Johnson, J.D. McKissick, they're they're just not going to get the carries or have that same success. The Lions reel their strength and their passing offense, their receivers. Kenny Galladay is great. Marvin Jones is still doing well. Danny Amendola pops up these good games about half the time. But the Bears are pretty good against opposing wide receivers. They've allowed just three touchdowns to them all year. They allow less than 11 yards per reception to wide receivers. Both of those are third best in the league. So this has the feel to me of a slower game where the Lions, you know, kind of rely on their tight ends like Hawkinson and James, and they kind of methodically move the ball up and down the field. So again, don't forget, we're in November. It's Chicago. It's going to be cold. That kind of sets up well for the under. So I agree. I like Detroit, but I also like the under at 42 and a half. Well, and you look at the Bears here this season. I mean, the game in which they scored more than 30 points, they were plus four in turnover margin. They got five takeaways against Washington, won that game 31 to 15. Their other season high, 25 points against the Saints. But I mean, this is a Bears team. They've exceeded 300 yards once on the season. We thought they'd be able to run the football. They have two games that have amounted for you know, a good portion of their running yards, 153 against Denver in Week 2, 162 against the Chargers in Week 8. They're not even running the football. And we all know that Mitch Trubisky is not a guy that you want to rely on. The one really bad thing about this Detroit defense, their 30th and 3rd down conversion rate against at 48.1%, but the Bears are 28th and 3rd down conversion rate at 31.4%. So this looks like a game... You know, with some field position, with some decisions to punt the football, uh, both these coaches have kind of made some real conservative decisions on fourth down and stuff like that throughout the year. So I got one definitely makes some sense. And, you know, I don't think a low scoring game bothers Detroit all that much either, just because Stafford's been so efficient taking care of the ball. So who knows? Maybe you and I both have winners in this one. Oh, I think we do. Honestly, I think Patricia really at heart does not want to be this offense that throws the ball way downfield and goes up and down, stuff like that. He wants to rely on his defense. He wants to sort of control the ball. You you know, he showed that last year. He hasn't really been able to do it this year because that's not the Lions' strength. But the Bears, to me, they just strike me as a team that's, you know, on the verge of basically mentally checking out at this point because it's just got to be so... I'm a Jets fan, right? So I, I recognize exactly how it looks when a team is just kind of, you know, throwing their hands up in the air and saying, I, I don't really know how much more effort we can do. That kind of seems like where the Bears are heading because Trubisky just gives them almost no chance to win at this point. So I see them kind of relying on their defense, like I said. But again, there's no way they should be laying points at this point to anyone, pretty much. I mean, obviously, you know, you got the Dolphins, fine, but not a team like Detroit, which is a quality football team, you know, despite the fact that their record overall isn't that great. Let's move to your third pick here. What do you got? Real quickly, I will say this. Since you said you like the under in the Detroit-Chicago game, I completely agree. We've got a perfect Wong teaser where you can get through three and seven this week, take Buffalo on a six-point teaser up to eight and a half with a low total there of 40. Detroit and Chicago take the Lions up to eight and a half with a low total of 41 and a half. Ideal Wong teaser named after Stanford Wong, who talked about this in a great book that he wrote. But getting through three, getting through seven, right through that corridor, very, very important. So my favorite NFL play of the week here is actually Buffalo and Detroit on a teaser. But as far as a regular side play goes, Minnesota plus three in the Sunday nighter. I mean, you've got a Dallas team here that, okay, fine, they're five and three. They've beaten the Giants twice, 
Washington and Miami, who are both awful, and then a good win over the Eagles before Philadelphia kind of ironed out some kinks, sort of worked some things out here. If Minnesota had Adam Thielen, I would absolutely love the Vikings in this spot. Does give me a little bit of pause not to have him. But Minnesota is such a good team. Last week, I give Kansas City a lot of credit for stepping up defensively, holding Minnesota to 308 yards. But prior to that, Minnesota just racking up yards on everybody. Again, maybe they played a little bit of a softer schedule in there. But I think gave, you know, first-year offensive coordinator and Kevin Stefanski a little bit more time to get some confidence going with this offense, to get some confidence going for Kirk Cousins as well. Mike Zimmer is a huge mismatch, maybe the biggest mismatch of the week against Jason Garrett. Minnesota's been excellent when they've played outside the NFC North. Dallas really only plays well against the NFC East. Uh, I think Minnesota's absolutely the right side on Sunday night. Not even just plus the three, but they should win this game outright. No, I agree. I think they are going to win the game outright. There are a bunch of things here that I'm thinking about. First of all, the Cowboys are obviously on a short week. The thing is, they really did not look that good against the Giants. They just, you know, they started pouring it on a little bit late, but the Giants are a vastly inferior team. You've got Amari Cooper, who is banged up right now. Actually, Michael Gallup, although he practiced in full, was added to the injury report uh, right now. So they are both dealing with some sort of injury. At least I think both will play, but they're a little bit banged up. Meanwhile, the Vikings, I mean, that was a tough loss last week, and they kind of need to win this game. You know, they, they've got to stay in the hunt here with the Packers doing well. So it's not, quote unquote, a must win game or anything like that, but they really need to do whatever they can to try to pull it out. In terms of Kirk Cousins, look, he has been playing really well this year I've been really impressed by him but he plays really really well indoors now most of those are home games of course but right now I mean the Cowboys technically have the open roof and everything like that but this is for all intents and purposes a game that's going to be indoors on the turf of course you do have no Adam Thielen I agree that hurts them a little bit but I think it was it hurt them more last week against Kansas City because they weren't prepared for it you know their their offense looked fine and they got Diggs heavily involved Diggs was barely involved last week against the Chiefs. They get Diggs heavily involved when they have the week to game plan around the fact that Thielen is not going to be there, which they have right now. I think Dalvin Cook is going to have a huge game like he always does. So I agree with you. At this point, you know, the Cowboys coming off that win, but coming off a short week, you've got kind of a desperate Vikings team and indoors. I agree with you. I like them getting the three points here. And I think Dallas, not even just this week, but Dallas is probably a fade team going forward. Tough road game at Detroit next week, at New England the following week. Short week on Thanksgiving, they play against Buffalo, where you know they will be a home favorite in that game. But Buffalo, as we know, very, very good defensively. I think the next few weeks could be very challenging for Dallas as the schedule really, really ramps up for them. Well, I think betting against Jason Garrett has generally been a profitable move, so I can't argue with any of that. For my third pick, I'm going to vomit all over myself, but I'm going to take the Bengals, getting 10 from the Ravens. Now, I like this a little bit more when it looked like AJ Green would play. It sounds like he's not only not going to play this week, but may not play for the remainder of the season. But as we talked about, this is a pretty ugly card this week, given all the buys. So I'm still going to go with them getting the 10. Uh, this is far less about which team is good against this and which team is bad against this and far more about the spots that both these teams find themselves in. The Ravens come off this absolutely enormous win against the Patriots in prime time. 
this has to, it just has to be a little bit of a letdown spot for them. And you can have a letdown spot against the Bengals and still win pretty easily. But the Bengals are also coming off the bye, during which they have changed quarterbacks from Andy Dalton to Ryan Finley. I think the team is probably going to come out with a little bit of energy. I think you're probably going to see some creative offensive plays here. I mean, the team's 0-8. They've got nothing to lose. I think you're going to see some, you know, a little bit more razzle-dazzle than you've seen so far as they try to eke out a win against a division rival. And, you know, look, the Bengals are terrible. But remember that they covered that big spread earlier in the season against the Ravens. And with the bye, they're getting a little bit healthier. They got Drake Kirkpatrick and William Jackson are coming back, or at least they're probably both at 100%. Darquez Denard, Carl Lawson, John Miller, they look likely to play. Cordy Glenn may finally suit up after his concussion. That'd be a big boost to the offensive line. So the Ravens are almost certainly going to win this game. But when you're talking about double digits, I mentioned it earlier when you talked about the Falcons, you get double digits on any NFL team. It just makes you kind of want to really dig into that. And here, there are just a lot of ways for the Bengals to eke out a backdoor cover like they did the first game against the Ravens. So again, after that emotional win with the Bengals changing quarterbacks off a bye, getting healthier, I'm going to take them getting double digits and points. Well, and again, I mean, you look at that first game and look, I, you said it was a backdoor cover since they got badly outgained in that one. But that line was Baltimore minus 10.5 at home. This line is Baltimore minus 10.5 on the road. I mean, in the span of four weeks, with a Cincinnati team coming off of a bye, can you really say these two teams are six points different? I I don't think so. I know Baltimore got that nice win over New England last week. That probably propped this line up a little bit. Maybe they're saying that there's a downgrade from Andy Dalton to Ryan Finley, but I don't think that's the case. I mean, if you flip home field here... Is there any way in hell you'd lay 16 and a half with Baltimore? I wouldn't. Not in the spot that they're in. Not against a team coming off of a bye where you don't have any film on Ryan Finley either. So I think Cincinnati does make a lot of sense here this week. Um, maybe it's just an anti-Baltimore play coming off the spot, but I've got to think Ryan Finley looks better. And one other point here, like I talked about with New Orleans, over their bye week, everything went great. You know, Green Bay lost, Minnesota lost, San Francisco you know, had all kinds of trouble with Arizona. Everything was great. Everything was peachy for New Orleans. What happened on Cincinnati's bye? One of the teams without a win got a win. So now you're 0-8 and you're sitting there thinking, we can't be the 0-16 team. Now, of course, they're probably not going to beat Baltimore, but still, I mean, it probably gives them a little bit more focus, a little bit more incentive to go out there and, you know, not embarrass themselves this week. Yeah, I completely agree with that. That's a, a really good point. Um, the fact that the Dolphins won, they are the only winless team at this point. I mean, it is one of the reasons why I do think they're going to get creative here, right? I mean, you know, it, it, in the end, what do they have to lose? It's going to be one of these games where I feel like you're going to see them go for it on fourth and one from their own 40 because, you know, at this point, just do something. And I agree. Look, you know, Andy Dalton is not the worst quarterback in the NFL, okay? But certainly, it's not as if you're like, well, I don't know. We're going from Andy Dalton to Ryan Finley. Finley is fine. He can play. He was fine in college. He can get. He's not probably not going to push the ball like crazy or anything in his first game. But they're fine. And even without Green, they have Tyler Boyd. They have, you know, Auden Tate. They've got enough receivers. Hopefully, the coaching staff figures out a way to better utilize Joe Mixon, which is something basically that people have been screaming about for years, regardless of the coaching staff. So, yeah, I agree with you here. You know, they're going to be motivated. I think they're going to come out with a little bit of energy up for the game. And again. It's so hard. We've seen this time and time again. You had such an emotional win for the Ravens to beat the Patriots um, on Sunday night. It's just got to be a little bit of a letdown. And again, that doesn't mean that they're going to just completely tank. I don't think the Bengals are going to win or anything like that. But, you know, that's sort of an opening for a team like the Bengals to maybe get off to a fast start. And one other thing is 
Zach Taylor, right? I mean, this guy is supposedly a quarterback guru. You know, he worked, obviously made Jared Goff into a pretty good NFL quarterback, at, at least at home. Zach Taylor knew that this was the last year of Andy Dalton. And he prioritized Ryan Finley in the NFL draft. You know, they could have taken a quarterback earlier because they knew that this would be the last year with Dalton. Because Dalton wasn't going to do anything to get himself a huge contract from Cincinnati, especially with the new coach that, you know, didn't even draft him. And he isolated Ryan Finley. As much as we don't know about Ryan Finley, if a guy like Zach Taylor, who's been around quarterbacks, was in that Sean McVay system, so on and so forth, if he likes Ryan Finley, why shouldn't I like Ryan Finley? I think that's a great point. That's a really, really good point. And again, you know, really what we're talking about is it just it can't be a significant downgrade. No matter what it is, it just can't be at this point. And if Andy Dalton was in this game and they were getting 10, I would feel fine about it completely. So in the end, I think, you know, that's a really good point. And, you know, once you're getting into the double digits, we both like the dogs this week. So let's recap here. You like the Falcons getting 13 from the Saints, the Lions plus two and a half over the Bears, and the Vikings getting three from the Cowboys. Of course, I will mention, you did mention your favorite bet of the weekend is the two-team teaser, Buffalo getting eight and a half, and the Lions getting eight and a half. Is that right? Yes, sir. All right, good. That's a good one, actually. For me, I'm going to take the Cardinals and the Bucks going over 52 and a half, the Lions and the Bears going under 42 and a half, and the Bengals getting 10 from the Ravens. Now, before we move on, are you ready for your latest free money bet, pretty much, from BetMGM? Unless this is your first time listening to this podcast, you know by now that BetMGM is our sponsor, and they make it super easy and convenient to place a sports bet right from your home. Just download the BetMGM Sports app right onto your phone, sign up using our promo code Harris, that's my last name, or if it makes you feel better, the last name of the guy who originally played Professor Dumbledore in the Harry Potter movies. Now, when you do that, you're going to be able to place a bet that is essentially guaranteed money this weekend. Here's the deal. Place a $1 money line bet on either the Jets or the Giants this weekend. Either one, it does not matter. If either team wins, you get $100 in winnings paid in free bets. So legitimately, so long as they do not tie, you win your $100. And as a lifelong fan, I can tell you that the Jets often find a way to break your heart, but I think even they can't find a way to screw this one up. And BetMGM offers boosted bets like this every so often. So once you've signed up for an account and you've used our promo code, keep your eyes open. These winnings are paid in free bets. You must be 21 years or older. And although you can sign up and easily deposit money anywhere, you must be in the state of New Jersey to place a sports bet. And certain restrictions apply. Visit BetMGM.com for the full list of terms and conditions. And if you've got a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, Adam, let's move to It's a Trap, where we list the line of the week that we're avoiding. What do you got? Well, initially, I actually kind of thought I might like one of the sides in this game, but as I looked into it a lot more, I just don't. And that's the Rams and the Steelers. You got a late kickoff here at Heinz Field, which is a little bit surprising and something that does favor the Rams a little bit here, not having to play with that 10 a.m. kickoff. But, oh man, Jared Goff on the road, at least for his sake, the weather doesn't look too bad in Pittsburgh on Sunday. That could have been a real big worry, but... I don't know if the Rams have really turned a corner. They're still very one-dimensional on offense. They cannot run the football for one reason or another. I think they've got very good route runners there uh, that really do help Goff more often than not. But Pittsburgh's quick on defense. They've rebuilt on the fly. They've gotten very young on the defensive side of the ball. They've got some pass rushers with Watt and Bush. Um, and then the Pittsburgh offense. I, I don't know what I'm going to get week in and week out. And Really, I don't know what I'm going to get from drive to drive with Mason Rudolph. 
doesn't have a lot of help at the skill positions with Smith Schuster getting double covered and, and, you know, so much attention paid to him. I cannot touch this game one way or another. You can't tease it either way either because I think there's a chance that Pittsburgh could get comfortably beaten if you do tease them up to nine and a half or something like that. Plus you're not getting three or only getting seven. That's a complete stay away game for me. I don't even like the total on it either. Yeah. You know, I really want to like the Rams in this game. That's kind of when I look at it and I just get a gut feeling. I'm like, oh, I feel okay about the Rams, but you can't. This game sets up really poorly for them because, you know, their big problem this year for them is the fact that their offensive line has been terrible. And Goff, without time to sit there and, you know, let the receivers run their routes and survey the landscape, has been terrible. He's terrible under pressure. And the one thing the Steelers do is they really get pressure on the quarterback. You know, Heinz Field is a difficult place to play. And again, one of the things I like to do when our guests come on and they talk about these bets that they're avoiding is I like to look at the breakdown of how our experts are picking them. And this shows exactly why you're avoiding it. 53-47 favor the Rams. So basically split right down the middle. So it is a game, again, where the Steelers are also a really difficult team to bet on either way because they're so gimmicky. You know what I mean? They're, they're winning games. You know, Jalen Samuels last week had 13 receptions. You, you just can't game plan around that. Um, so for me, I completely agree with you. This is a game I don't like. Out of curiosity, you said you initially liked it when you first looked at it. Was that on the Rams or was that on the Steelers? Yeah, I, I initially liked the Rams a little bit because, like I said, I, I do want to believe that maybe they've turned a corner. Maybe they've figured some things out offensively. And also... I know everyone's trying to copycat Sean McVay, but he's so much better than Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin's just terrible. And, and look, Pittsburgh would have lost last week probably if Jacoby Brissett doesn't get hurt. Not that Brian Hoyer played poorly necessarily, but I mean, that completely changed the complexion of that game, even though Indianapolis scored a touchdown in that possession where Brissett got hurt. But I mean, that could have gone completely differently for the Steelers. I was actually on Pittsburgh last week in the Super Contest and felt really fortunate to get that one. I I just I don't think Pittsburgh's a very good team, and I don't think Tomlin's a very good coach. No, they certainly should have lost last week, even with Hoyer. I mean, Hoyer threw the pick six, and again, even with everything, even with subbing in quarterbacks in the middle, even with no T.Y. Hilton in there, still, if Adam Vinatieri doesn't shank that kick at the end of regulation, they do lose that game. So it's just a really tough team to get a beat on, and I don't particularly like betting against them at home, especially, I believe this might be their third straight game at home at this point, so they're comfortable right now, and again, I just don't feel comfortable with the Rams uh, at this point, given that, you know, you don't really know what you're going to see from them, and again, they're down Brandon Cooks as well, who's out this week, so you really don't know exactly what you're going to get. For me, I'm avoiding the Browns laying three to the Bills, so you mentioned that you are willing to tease the Bills. So I'd really like to hear your thoughts on it. And again, I believe, if memory serves, that you are a Browns fan. Is that correct? I am. I, I'm not at I'm not at the paper bag stage yet, but I'm getting close. All right. That's all right. I've been at uh, the paper bag stage in my team for a while. So look, this is a line that I feel like you look at it. And, you know, uh, putting aside, you know, anything that we know about it, it, just go to John Q. Public out there. And they look at this line, and I think they're going to be like, what are you talking about? How are the Bills getting three at this point. I mean, they're, they're, they should easily be able to win this game out right now. The Browns have been a disaster this year, and I think we talked about it when you were on in an early show. 
They were, you know, Mayfield got the most money on him to be the MVP. The Browns, I think, got the most money on them to win the Super Bowl. So at this point, you have to feel like the public has just been bruised and battered so badly by backing the Browns that I feel like you look at it and you're like, well, the Bills, you know, they're they're having such a good season. They should be able to win. So when you see a line like that, for me, there's always a reason for it. Like last week with the Chargers against the Packers, I think the Packers were laying three and a half and you just looked at it from the surface from far away and you're like, man, you know the books are going to get a ton of money on the Packers because they're such a public team. Why aren't they making this higher? There's usually some sort of reason for it. And when you dive into it, the Bills really just are not nearly as good as their record indicates. Their strength of schedule has been preposterously easy. They are weak against the run, which is the one thing the Browns can do, and they're getting Kareem Hunt back, so they add a little bit more of a dimension there. So when I look at everything, I mean, I guess I kind of like the Browns maybe but I just cannot back them in the end because they've been I've backed them several times this year right I backed them against the Patriots and again I didn't think that that was a terrible performance I mean I think they got pretty unlucky in that game to not cover but I've backed them several times I hit them against Denver last week it's just basically at a point where I feel like I can't feel comfortable backing them particularly as favorites but really in any game so for me the Browns laying three to the Bills is the game I'm avoiding the funny thing is that over the last few years, everyone's kind of gotten their own taste of the Cleveland misery index about sports. And I mean, I've, I've lived it far more times than I'd like to recount, but you know, look, I, I mean, I've fallen the, on the public side here of I've seen nothing from the Browns that would indicate to me that they can figure this thing out. I get it. They've played a very, very hard schedule. The schedule got easier last week with Denver, got much easier with Brandon Allen, and they still couldn't take advantage of it. Buffalo's played a weak schedule. Maybe they're a little bit of a fraudulent six and two team. Maybe Cleveland should be better than two and six. But look, Baker, and I mentioned this on my show, which I recorded the, the Friday edition here just before we started recording. Baker can't throw guys open. In college football, his guys had, you know, two, three yards on a defender. All you had to do was put the ball there. In the NFL, you've got to throw your guy open occasionally. And he hasn't made those throws in those tight windows. He's put balls behind guys. They've been tipped and picked. He's put balls, you know, over guys' heads. He's not an accurate passer. And, and maybe he's just not a very good quarterback. On the other hand, it could be a scheme thing with Freddie Kitchens. But I don't see how the Browns get this thing figured out. Baker already said this week, well, we got to force the ball to OBJ. Okay, that's not a great idea. You're not putting Nick Chubb out there in third down situations. The opposition knows it's going to be a pass. They're not worried about Dontrell Hilliard running on him. Does Kareem Hunt change that? Maybe. But you know what else Kareem Hunt does? Takes snaps away from Nick Chubb, who's been their best offensive player. So I don't love that. You're trying to keep Beckham happy. You're trying to keep Landry happy. They don't know how to spread the ball around to all of these different weapons here because there's only one football. And... The Bills are a very good defensive team. Say what you will about the schedule. They're still very, very stout on that side of the ball. If Cleveland takes advantage of the weaker schedule here, quote-unquote, and beats the Bills, so be it. They're going to have to prove it to me. I may end up taking Buffalo there, plus three in the Super Contest, as opposed to two and a half. So I may end up on them there. I still think the teaser with one leg being Buffalo is a great idea, but I have no confidence in the Browns. And it's not my jaded Cleveland fandom it's just watching this team week in and week out. I don't think Baker knows how to fix it. I know Kitchens doesn't know how to fix it. Monken has really no say as the offensive coordinator. They're they're a mess, and I, you're not going to fix a mess against a good defensive team, I don't think. It's crazy to me, by the way, that, that Mungin is not involved basically whatsoever. I mean, what what is the point of him being there, you know, essentially? He, he certainly did good things 
when he was with the Bucks um, in terms of offensively. So it really, it's mind-boggling, and I heard that today. And I, again, I, I don't remember if it was you. It might have been because obviously you're a Browns fan. But I remember in a preseason episode, we talked about how things could just go south for the Browns because especially regardless of their schedule, but again, the personalities in that locker room, it's just, it's too combustible. It's hard to see them really getting up for the game. You know what I mean? Which again is why the line, it strikes me as strange. You know, I, I get that they're home and I, you know, I get where it might've been at the look ahead line, but at this point, everything about them screams that they're just checked out. So it's really hard for me to do. But again, when there's a line like this, that makes me kind of say, what am I missing? What am I missing? What am I missing? It's usually a line that makes me want to stay away. So I'm going to, I'm going to run from this one. And so I'll be avoiding the Browns laying three to the Bills and you are going to be avoiding the Rams laying three and a half to the Steelers. Before we get into our final segment, remember, we've got a signed Odell Beckham Jr. helmet giveaway contest going on, considering we were just talking about the Browns. You can get more details over at bettingpros.com slash contest. But to be entered, just leave a review for the show on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and send a screenshot of that review to contest at bettingpros.com. And that helmet comes from our friends over at Pristine Auction, where they have a ton of incredible stuff to bid on and hundreds of auctions daily. So go check them out at P-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-Auction.com. And if you sign up using our registration code BETTINGPROS, you get a free $5 voucher. All right, it's time for Top Prop, where Adam and I list our top player prop for the weekend. Go ahead and start us off. Yeah, I don't think you're going to like this one too much. I mean, I I do think the Bengals are a pretty decent look this week, but... I'm going to go with Lamar Jackson rushing yards over. I mean, I, I'm not exactly sure what this prop's going to be. We are recording on Thursday, so you know a lot of player props not out yet. But Cincinnati gave up 152 rushing yards to Lamar Jackson in the first meeting. Um, I mean, it's just the kind of thing that Lamar Jackson can do. I think Cincinnati had a pretty good game plan, but when you get a quarterback that can improv the way that he can, it's very, very tough to stay in coverage. It's very tough to you know try and hold contain. Uh, Cincinnati has given up 141 more rushing yards to quarterbacks than, the other, than any other team in the NFL, largely because of that first meeting with Lamar Jackson. I'm not sure I see this week's one going any differently. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really disagree with you, especially since I feel like, you know, Jackson kind of wanted to talk earlier in the season about, oh, I don't really want to run necessarily. You know, I, I like passing and stuff like that. Now he's just kind of leaning into it, which is good. You know, in the end, the big thing about uh, the Bengals, you know, as much as I do think that they're going to be able to cover the 10 is they can't tackle. And they've had some of these games this year where they just come out and I think it was against the 49ers earlier and, you know, against the Seahawks, it's OK, but. You know, against the 49ers, certainly in other games where they just can't tackle. And when you get Lamar Jackson sort of in open field or scrambling or anything like that, I think he is somebody who's probably going to have a pretty big rushing uh, total this week. So, you know, again, it's not something that necessarily goes against uh, the spread because, again, that's that's just, you know, it's not going to be an explosive play or anything. I mean, it could, of course. But for the most part, with rushing, it's just going to kind of keep the clock moving and everything like that. Hopefully take longer drives, keep the game closer than it otherwise would be. But in the end, I, I don't dislike, you know, going over on Jackson. QB rushing props generally make me a little nervous. Um, legitimately, they make me a little nervous just because you can scramble. So when you're going over, especially with a guy like Jackson, I really don't have a problem with that. It's just one of those things, too, like, you know, with both of us being on Cincinnati, sorry to interrupt. No. It's one of those things where when you look at the games where Jackson has had to run and has had success running, it's been a closer game. So if you think it's going to be a closer game here and he's going to need his legs, he uses them. You know, in the games where he hasn't run a whole lot, the win over Miami, not a big surprise, Eight carries in the loss to Kansas City where they were trailing by, you know, double digits a decent part of that game. 
And the game against Cleveland, nine carries where they gave up 40 points and the Browns just had not a body experience. Other than that, in closer games, Jackson's had to run. So if you like the Bengals here, there's probably some correlation with Jackson in future Ravens games. If they're going to need his legs, he will be there with them. So if you do like the other side of a game against Baltimore, it's almost like a like a pseudo hedge or a quasi middle to take Jackson over the rushing yards because he'll think that they need him. I love it. This is totally synergy right now. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you on that one. I, I do uh, think that there'll be a big running game here. Now, I also think there's going to be a big running game from Aaron Jones. So I'm going to take him over 100 rushing yards, and that's at plus 200. So, you know, you're getting some odds here. This isn't something where necessarily the odds are with it to happen. I mean, he's only done it twice this year, and he's coming off a game where he just gained 30 yards rushing. But they ran just 50 plays against the Chargers. So I think this is a little bit of a get-right game here. Uh, against the Panthers for the Packers at home. The Panthers defense remains strong against the pass, but they are definitely vulnerable against the run. They have shown that the last two weeks against the 49ers and the Titans where Tevin Coleman and Derrick Henry kind of ran all over them. Jamal Williams is still there and he's going to get his seven to 10 touches per game or whatever. But I think this is the type of game where Jones can see closer to the 16 to 20 carries as the Packers look to control the game. I do think that the Packers are going to win this game as they come home and they were embarrassed last week in Los Angeles. So I do think that this is a game where they're going to be ahead and they're going to rely a little bit more on the run, particularly because that's the Panthers deficiency. So it's a big number. And again, it's plus 200. It's the same thing with Robbie Anderson that I did last week. When you're getting, you know, good odds at something, it's not that you necessarily expect it definitely to happen, but given the odds I think of him going over, I'm there. So, you know, if you're getting two to one on your money for this one, given the fact that I do expect the Packers to be playing from ahead for them to rely a little bit more on their ground game since they got away from it last week, I'll take plus 200 for Jones to go over 100 rushing yards. I like that. You know, when you talk about, obviously we got college basketball going on now, you start looking at spreads that are in the six, six and a half, seven, seven and a half point range, because that's kind of the falling area. So you think about you know, looking to bet overs because you expect the game to be extended at the end with a lot of fouls. And of course, you want to try and get every half point possible because, you know, again, it is in that falling range. This game, I think it makes sense to go with a running back over type of prop and also to take a little bit of odds with it because you're in that one to two score range of between a field goal and a touchdown to where Green Bay may be salting this game away in the fourth quarter. It's kind of what the line would suggest to you a little bit which would mean Aaron Jones, which would mean giving him touches, trying to assert the line of scrimmage a little bit more. So I think this is the right type of spread range to take a little bit of a shot like that, getting two to one on a rushing yards prop, expecting the game plays out as anticipated, and that Jones does wind up, as you mentioned, getting a good handful of totes there. Yeah, the spread is in that dead number right now at five, which again, I like, you know, it's been bouncing back and forth between five and five and a half from what I've seen all week. I do expect that to sort of be how it's going to be. I could, I could, you know, see the Packers playing a lot from ahead and then just kind of leaning on Jones at the end again, because that's really where you attack the Panthers defense to the extent you are able to control the game. It's certainly their rushing defense rather than their passing defense. All right. That's going to do it for today's show. Thanks again for joining me, Adam. Remind everyone where they can find more of you and your work. Absolutely, man. I appreciate the opportunity to join you. You can find me over at bangthebook.com covering a, a variety of different sports every Monday through Friday on Bang the Book Radio where we talk about the NFL, college football, NBA, NHL, golf. Uh, we work a lot of different stuff in, plenty of college hoops as well. Uh, so a lot of good things going on. Very busy time of year. You guys are doing great work over here. We're doing great work over there. Uh, a lot of good resources out there for betters here uh, in this current 
you know, uh, sports betting landscape and also some pretty good election results here this past week, uh, to help push sports betting a little bit further. So that'll definitely be something you want to pay attention to as we head into 2020 with more states coming on board. Yeah, absolutely. It's a trend that certainly you and I are both glad to see, and I think it's just going to continue that way. Thanks again for coming on, and hopefully we can do it one more time before the end of the NFL season. Absolutely. We'd love to. All right. I want to remind everyone about BetMGM, where you can basically win $100 so long as the Jets and the Giants do not tie if you sign up using our promo code Harris. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and send a screenshot of that review to contest at bettingpros.com to be entered into our Odell Beckham Jr. signed helmet giveaway. Good luck with your wagers this weekend. We'll be back breaking down the early lines for Week 11 on Monday.